Hello and welcome to Concept Aware, How You See and Why It Matters. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I host unscripted conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I do so through the lens of Concept Aware, my trademarked framework that identifies the layers of the creative process to highlight how artists bring their ideas to fruition in images, book, and exhibition form. To learn more about how to apply my practical framework to your creative process, please visit my website, jsibillasmith.com. I offer educational resources, including my recent Paris Photo in Your Pocket, five hours of curated content and exclusive interviews live from the world's largest international photo fair. It includes highlights on trends in contemporary photography, hyperlinked resources, and the latest in global photo books. All my services and resources illuminate, elevate, and amplify the work of contemporary photographers wherever you find yourself from beginner to seasoned professional. We hope you explore our expansive resource in our podcast archive of over 80 episodes also available on my website. This is our final podcast of our fall season. Today, I am delighted to share the beguiling work of photographer Danielle Ezzo. I call her a futurist and a digital pioneer as she investigates how historical categorization of art objects is untethered in our contemporary manner of circulation and consumption of images. She pushes us to question the bounds of photography in relationship to authorship and truth. We go deep into the layers of her work and all it uncovers and refracts in insight and ideas. And as you know, perception is a slippery slope. We're so glad you're here. Let's begin. Welcome, Danielle. I love that our relationship has been one of happenstance and serendipity. Our introduction was initiated by our being redheaded women at Paris Photo. Then we met in person in Cambridge when you guest lectured at Lesley University College of Art and Design. And then more recently, attending Bree Souter's book talk on another online pervert at Rizzoli. I think it was during APAD. I am delighted to have spent time with your artist book, If Not Here, Then Where, and to have time today to learn more of this beguiling object. Its compact size belies the mega hit of its ability to expand into so many directions. It's like a prism refracting ideas and insights in all manner of direction. I would describe you as a futurist, a multimedia artist with equal parts curiosity and intention, part detective, part surgeon, part reporter, wrapped up 
in an artist and academic package. You are a digital pioneer, delving into our saturated world of imagery while mining the depths of our networked languages to mirror aspects, aspects of ourselves to us, delightfully, fluidly, and with an ecumenical gaze. You are interested in discovering how we see and how the systems of seeing may evolve. However, the ability of an image is always to both communicate and mediate. Communication is at the heart of your investigation. In your work, I see you actively animate a dialectic. You bring historical artifacts to new light, literally setting them free in time and space, yet you bind them with ties in an original, are now a new current. You take their ties and their origins and bring it to us in a current language, that of HTML. When I look at your book, I think of a Pandora's box. I do not see your book as unleashing evil or trouble as the mythical study purports. However, your work does unleash. It cracks open photography to reflect and ponder the unseen. It brings to light new perceptions and investigates previously held perspectives. You explore a vast canon of culture to subvert its bounds, to break open its construct, to consider issues related to visibility, authorship, and representation. You go in as an arbiter, a curator, instructed by your own aesthetics, led by your own instincts to respond to form and color. In so doing, you alter the systemic gathering of objects of art and ask of their origins, and you are empowered to re-narrate their import and their place. You, in essence, unburden them from their encoded language, setting them both free and forward. So welcome, Danielle, and I am excited and need your leading us through all the layers that you went through to come to this book. I know this is just one iteration of this work, but you dove in to archives and I I know that you had mentioned um, the autobiography of Carson McCullers to me in a, a conversation and the author Jen Chaplin talked about archives as being grouchy, unapproachable <laughs> places. <laughs> And, and yet you dove in. So let us into your thought process, your concept development. It is truly beguiling. And I'm... Wow. Yeah. That's quite the introduction. My goodness. Uh, maybe we should just end it there, end it on a high note. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Um, <laughs> We're done. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's all I need right there. Okay. Um, I appreciate that. So uh, yeah, my thought process. Well, I, I love that you had the chance to, to read the book. I actually re-listened to it uh, in the lead up to our conversation because I, I read it a couple of years back when I was um, making this work. And 
was really just reminded how, I mean, I just recommend everybody read this book, even though it's not, you know, the archive is kind of the background of her story. Um, it's about so many things, which I think is, you know, kind of where I entered my own work too, is that, you know, there's a personal narrative, which I don't talk too much about. There's the, you know, there's the historical, there's the contemporary, there's the cultural, there's all these little moments. Um, but I guess where my story starts is um, in 2021 during the pandemic and like all of us had no access to um, any kind of cultural engagement, uh, artistic or otherwise. And, you know, being in New York, that's was quite frustrating um, to not be able to go and see shows. And as much as my work deals with the digital, um, I love the handmade, I love the physical, I come from a place of enjoying that first and foremost. And so viewing work on screens uh, up until that point was, had always been kind of frustrating to me. Unless it was meant for a screen, I don't wanna see it on a screen. Um, there's something lost there to me. There had always been something lost in, in that experience of viewing artwork on social media or websites or what have you, um, but I was forced to. So, and around the same time, the Metropolitan Museum of Art had begun digitizing their collection of, I think the number is up to nearly half a million artifacts right now, which includes um, things that wouldn't normally be in um, curated exhibitions, physical exhibitions. So broken pottery, um, anonymous love letters and postcards and you know probably stuff that they've acquired from the States over the years. And so there's a lot of stuff that is now online that you can search through uh, on their website and anybody can do this. It's a public facing website and they encourage people to. And so you can search through different era and media and keyword searches. And so reluctantly I began kind of poking the beast basically. Um, and just seeing what all the fuss was about, because there had been a lot of um, conversation in, in, you know, media outlets about, you know, museums having virtual exhibitions and digital archives. And again, I was just, I wasn't really sure what to make of it, but this was my opportunity to kind of look more closely. Mm -hmm. And so I started poking around and, uh, I think at first I was actually became quite excited by it, um, not just because it was my only outlet, but because I could see these things that maybe I wouldn't otherwise see. And, you know, having been to the Met many times in, in my life, you know, there's, first of all, it feels quite overwhelming to be there. Like many museums, it's hard to, at a certain point, maybe absorb things. And so I think that the, the medium of looking at something online, I could take things a little bit more at my own pace mm -hmm. and be a little bit more perhaps non-linear with how I was searching for things and looking for things. Mm -hmm. um, so I started to think of this idea of what if the curator was completely removed? What if the user was the curator and what advantages that had and disadvantages that had? And so, you know, um, the average person searching their collection may not have all the historical references and each art each artifact as you click into it will have a snippet of information has a profile that has you know 
its title, it's, you know, a blurb, you know, maybe a paragraph or two about that particular artifact, if they know anything about it, its origin, um, time period, and so forth, and then documentation of it. And so the documentation, I think, was something that um, had taken place over maybe decades, because some images are, you can tell they're black and white in film, and others are digital, and they have multiple views. So there's like a various levels of depth depending on the particular artifact. And so um, I don't know, I can continue on here, but that's kind of where I started and just seeing the differences in um, how things were cataloged and how things were searched. And I guess the, the one thing that I will mention is the Met has this search feature called um, open access images. And so you can click this and it filters through uh, what's available in their archive based on public domain images. And they encourage people to, um, to save, download, use in their own artworks or however they see fit because they're public domain. And so I began doing that. I began really searching just in that particular way um, mm -hmm. through the uh, public domain images and then printing them out um, and kind of looking at them all within the um, rectangular format of, you know, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So large sculptures and photographs and paintings and, you know, everything in between kind of became resampled and resized into this uh, sheet of paper size, small format. Yeah. So interesting to think about that, how you, um, it, there's a reanimation, but you're playing with the scale. And I love the the concept and kind of your through thread, uh, the viewer as curator, because I feel like you took that and that's what I mean about the prismatic view. I'm trying to pull apart um, how much the process influenced your practice like when you stepped in as an artist, because I, that's why I mentioned artists and academic, you were constantly yeah. coming back and forth with those heads and hands. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I find so beguiling because every time I go back to your book, there's more to think about and that you unearthed. And then I'm like, okay, when did she decide to do this? So what's really interesting, and thank you for this, you're giving me the key and us the key to see all the ways in which you are seeing. So once you got into that playground in terms of the open access public domain and knew you could utilize it as the arbiter, you could take a sculpture and it becomes the same size as an oil painting, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you're already mm -hmm. like entering into it differently. And then when I'm really curious, it brings to mind <laughs> the, um, the movie, A Beautiful Mind, when you had uh, the character in that hut with a million notes around them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I picture yeah. you yes. having to do to capture like all those insights. Yeah, all those uh, a million sheets of paper and some scissors, basically. Yeah, uh, for, but some of it sure. had to be some of it had to be text or reminders of ideas, right? Yes. So to kind of circle back around to both like 
how it how this informed my practice and you know um this idea of the kind of the more rigorous side of this the academic side of this um or conceptual component and then just me existing within this material i think i really began with the former former the latter first which is to say um yeah um which is to say that like i think i live in my head quite easily maybe to my own detriment and a lot of my work has this deep kind of conceptual component to it and i did not want to start there with this although i ended up circling back around to it so for me, I was really just trying to respond to the images that I was seeing kind of intuitively or blindly, like just, you know, how did this object make me feel and not really think too much about the history at first, like just mm -hmm. formal qualities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was, I noticed that I wanted to print out more sculptures than I wanted to print out paintings and photographs because mm -hmm. the rectangle to me was an uninteresting shape. You know, it wasn't based in anything other than just this intuitive sensation of printing and cutting things out and then clustering those pieces together. And so sculptures tended to have more interesting shapes. And so that's kind of the direction that I went into. Mm -hmm. um, and so it had this very, um, at first, superficial aesthetic quality to it, uh, which I was thrilled to um, be in because again that's not my natural state so I was just it was lovely just to to exist in that way for a little while and then of course you know um, as I began to dig the other components came in and emerged from it and that you know deepened things and w allowed me to really work with this material for um, about a year and a half two years and I, I've talked to other people and they've said it seems like it it's something that could be a lifetime project. And I think that that is correct in the sense that the digger, the deeper you dig, the more that you can get out of the material. Like it's just a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. 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 Which is why, I mean, I didn't go back to find out the actual dimensions, but I had to talk about the difference in size of this little ish mm -hmm. book. It is a little ish yeah. book. Yeah. And yet mm -hmm. it, it that's where Pandora's box came from too. It just goes poof, like out in all these different directions. And I just have to say that when you're talking about your aesthetic, somewhat superficial, as you said, response, I like earmarked pages where I just found your delightful combinations. And, and, mm. and I think that in terms of setting them free, you may even remember mm -hmm, what that mm -hmm. reference is that I'm showing yes, you right now. Yes, and yeah. it's it's so empowering. So I love the idea that you are on your own aesthetic journey, but that this academic um, conceptual depth, more of the rigor, as you mentioned, also captured you. And and so you're the person who I love started to go into language beyond the visual when you're looking at the, as you would call it, the systems of, mm -hmm. of tying the object to its origins and then how mm -hmm. complicated that is because it's human systems that are transferring human biases, et cetera. And we have this 
false sense that when we're not working with what we think is a humanistic tool, a computer and technology that somehow it is freed from, but you really mm. break that open too. So after your aesthetic experience and then seeing what you could and couldn't find in your research, get to that step too of when you were you were finding like like how you found female artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a <laughs> lot there. So I, after that like initial pass, you know, I realized that I was behaving in a way that probably most people would engage with this archive, you know, if they're not um, art historians or curators, just the, the average um, museum goer who is now online looking at this material. And so I thought of that as a really interesting idea. Of, and I said, I mentioned this earlier, the what if the curator is removed or the, the user becomes the curator? What sensibilities change because of that? And do they learn anything inadvertently from the process of just intuitively going through a system like this? And so I said, okay, well, I'm just going to lean into this a little bit more and this idea of being the user and what what is either gained or lost here. And so I began um, typing in in the so they have, as I mentioned, uh, a website that's public facing and there's uh, some things that you can click on and off. And then they have a search field, which is natural language. You can just plug in words and it'll spit back something to you. And so I began just plugging in different keywords that I thought could be interesting. And one of the keywords that I came um, across, which I thought would be interesting to see all on one page or all on several pages was female artists. Like, can I just see all of the artists that they know the gender of on one page? Like, and just, it would be, I don't think that there's ever been a curation of a show like that. That would be really an interesting thing to see. And so we already know that many, you know, legacy institutions have more male artists in their um, archives. And so I thought, well, you know, it, it might be less, but I'm still curious what's there. And it would be cool just to see it out of, out of time and space, what all of that material looks like, you know, collected together. Um, and I couldn't search for it, which mm -hmm. is to say what, the result I got back was um, portraits and renderings of women. Mm -hmm. um, so the woman as subject kind of came up uh, with this term female artist. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, it seems like an intentional thing, but also it could be an oversight. And if that's an oversight, that's a very big oversight, you know, I don't like to prescribe um, how people should feel about that because I think it's incredibly hard to wrangle that much material and digitize an archive as big as the, the Mets archive is. And there could be a million reasons why a particular thing emerges over another. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to jump to any conclusions as to why that might be the case. Um, and so in doing a little bit of um, reading and digging around on their website, I see that they have this backend API, which basically allows you to 
um, with the same function of the public domain images, uh, download uh, all the material in mass. And so you can make a very wow. simple script that says uh, download only public domain images from these um, different with these different search terms kind of in mind. And so I wanted to see back there if a there was a feature embedded within the code that said essentially if gender is known, do we mark it? And there was. And so the feature was there on the back end. So the the programmers, whoever was designing the system, the team that was designing the system was considering this. Um, however, um, as I looked further and I would download just like swaths of thousands of images at a time, which was in incredible. Um, and I'm glad I had a lot of extra space on my hard drive. I was just like thousands wow. and thousands and thousands of images and they would be grouped in a folder with um, the, the JPEG version um, or a PNG. And then it had a little text file associated with it called a JSON file. And within that JSON file, it basically had all these metadata parameters, um, stuff that would correspond to what that public facing website had, like, you know, medium and era and region and all of this stuff. And so, but there was a, a gender and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, but it was mostly left out or in many cases it was like mis, um, mis misrepresented, exactly. So. Um, yeah, so that maybe is the reason for why I was seeing the results that I was seeing. Again, I have actually yet to talk to anybody at that team, which I would love to. I keep, new, yes. regardless who I talk to uh, about this project, I'm just like, if anybody knows anybody at the, the digital department at the Met, like, because I think it's uh, like, I just, I'm sure there's a, just a lot of reasons and, and more things to be uncovered besides this is just like in some ways low hanging fruit. Um, so what I was like, I wanna talk to someone there to see like what their thinking was there or was their thinking there? Maybe there wasn't, maybe, you know, who knows? I'm not sure, um, I can't speak to them. However, it was a thing that I discovered fairly quickly. Um, and I thought that that was just an interesting kind of emergent property of this big system. And so that began my journey about thinking about the subjectivity of the stories that we tell and the, how we search these things and any like history, you know, how history is written and shaped and how it kind of propagates into the future. And um, yeah, so mm -hmm. I think that there is something there about this subjectivity that ties back into this idea of the user being the curator and there's a subjectivity there. And so, you know, the programmers or engineers that are working on this archive, are their intentions aligned with the museums? Like there's many things to be, there's a lot of kind of levels of abstraction there that could yes. really influence how you see certain works. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that's just like one example. You know. I know this is why I have the beautiful mind in mind when I think of mm -hmm. you needing a million different ways yeah. to capture all the things you can think about and investigate given what you've done. And it makes me think of when we were at um, Brie reading her work that mm -hmm. 
the question in terms of the prompt with her chatbot was, have you read any women authors? And they mm -hmm. said no, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. completely mm -hmm. dependent on how it was programmed. So in mm -hmm. terms of, as mm -hmm. you say, the subjectivity moving into the future, um, I love, and you can tell us about this because I, I know that the, um, the work, <laughs> in addition to all the things we're on, leashing here, the work is in it of itself in at least three forms. So it is going into the world in all these other ways we've yet to talk mm -hmm. about too. But um, I'm just, you the, the idea that in the book design, you brought in this language, like, I love how honestly, you're in your book, discovering things, not quite cure, sure what you're looking at, knowing there is antiquity, but not knowing its ties to what we're looking at. And then to be given such quote unquote facts, when you're looking at the HTML, I found fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I love that you led with one of the women, Jane Martha St. John, uh, a British mm -hmm. woman, and, and the work that she was putting out was made in 1856. And I find that mm -hmm. very reassuring that that's still moving through our universe of understanding. Yeah. Um, but I am just uh, fascinated with how you grappled with the amount of information. And then you took this other flying leap in terms of a, a concept development to start cutting up those rectangles and tying them together. So mm -hmm. when did that happen? Or how? Like that, what pushed that into that? And that happened fairly um, early on in that beginning phase where I was printing things out and just kind of intuitively experiencing the material as I was printing them out and then kind of clustering them together. And I, I knew that there was going to be a, a re-photographing process that that was going to happen just because of the nature of how I work. I, I knew that that would be my beginning point. Um, but simultaneously at this time, I had moved into a new studio space. I had had one in a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Bushwick, um, where the buildings are a little bit higher. And then I had moved my studio to once I'd actually let go of my studio. But then uh, when I started this project, I had moved into a studio in Red Hook, Brooklyn, which is, I like to say the end of the earth, um, because there's no <laughs> buildings around. I'm on a pier on the water with a view of the Statue of Liberty. And I was just mesmerized by the sky every day that I left. Like, it was just like, every sky is a new sky. It just, I don't know, it seems maybe um, not that profound to many people, but I think when you're um, kind of entrapped by buildings, uh, most of your waking hours in, in a metropolitan area, it just felt very novel and very freeing and very mm. open. And so, and, you know, again, through the pandemic, when people are staying inside and like feeling, especially in the city, very restricted, mm -hmm. it felt like a privilege to have open air. And so I have this big piece of mirror that I just dragged outside on the pier with a beautiful sky and started just kind of piecing these little bits together. It's like these little 
these little artifacts were just, you know, kind of coagulating together naturally <laughs> on this mirror. And I was just mesmerized by the sky. And so it just was this opportunity to um, experience the world uh, in a way in which I, I wasn't able to experience. We None of us really were, especially if you were, were in a city. So it just felt in, at that point fairly novel. But as I started to do that and looking at these objects on the mirror with this guy that I felt like it was actually quite apropos because it felt like a virtual space. There was no mm. up, there was no down, there was mm. no grounding. And so I wanted it to feel ambiguous. And in some cases, all you see is a gradient. And so you don't even have a cloud or anything in the sky to give it a perspective and so that to me yeah exactly the the Mm -hmm. kind of um being a little lost or floating in space felt kind of uh like a metaphor for how images circulate now anyway Mm -hmm. they move through virtual spaces and with specific regard to the public domain images in the met they are Mm -hmm. being downloaded and repurposed in all of these other ways that just felt like Yes, this is in fact what digital images do. They move, you know, they're very slippery and yes. they get lost from their uh, original historical context. And so, you know, um, when I first started doing this, because I what I didn't know what I was going to be doing, I wasn't printing out the JSON files. I was just individually downloading images through the website. And so as I started constructing these um little mobiles, this temporary sculptures, the idea emerged. And, but I had already lost information, mm. which of course felt very accurate to the situation. And so I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna try and try and reverse engineer and find this object. I've now made an image. I've you know collected all of these little objects and made them into a mobile. And I now wanna, go back and research what each of these objects are so I can get it either. I was thinking of like, I would use their names in in my titling system. Mm-hmm. I was thinking originally, which became a, a nightmare that we can talk about. But <laughs> um, so I like tried to find the objects again. And in some cases I couldn't again. And so they were lost even to me. And so some of the, each time I would plug in language to this text, Uh, box I wasn't getting the same results results. and so they were lost again to me um, even though I was holding a version of them in my hands which felt you know apropos to the whole situation Um, I I have to tell you I feel better (laughs) listening to you because this was so um, mind-boggling to me you know because there's so much reverberation between um, your actual process. And then the ideas it's like, it's, it is like a cat chasing its tail to it, but it in Mm -hmm. so many different layers, I I'm fascinated. You were, and when you, when whoever mentioned that this could be a life's work, I get it. Like, I almost wish that Mm -hmm. there was like Mm -hmm. video of you doing it because I think it's such a, it's such a portal. It is such a portal Mm -hmm. into where we are now. I find that fascinating and that you had to be tenacious to do this well I I 
became that over time. There's, like I said, that first tranche of work where I was not thinking at all about this. I hadn't gotten to that development. And so it kind of emerged. And then, of course, you know, things are are lossy because of that. Um, it actually reminds me of uh, a quote from the book that I recommended to you, um, my autobiography of Carson McCullers, uh, how I long to preserve my first glimpses of these images, these things, all the while aware that as, as I preserve them in writing, I am removing older versions, overriding them and losing information akin to digital era archivists, unknowing poets, called lossiness so I'm just like yeah like that's just that's it right there like wow. that's, that sums it up um we're trying so desperately to hold on to this history all the while in the process of preservation we're losing something um at least for myself in that subjective experience it, it feels like holding on to grains of sand or something like it's just uh you know you're setting yourself up for some kind of um, imperfection to be built into the, the process. Yeah, but it's those cracks that we all need because we think that there's such an, uh, uh, th that's what's so interesting about facts, right? It's like, we're mm -hmm. looking at something like an artifact and saying, here are the facts. Well, not all the facts actually went with the object, right? And this idea yeah. that I feel like you are cracking open and that light comes in and you see differently. And there's just the amount of metaphors, I think is what like blows my mind because <laughs> yeah. you're, and that's why I meant, uh, or what I meant by animating the dialectic, you're, you are mm -hmm. so engaged in it. And it's funny because I, when I, when I think as I'm looking through the book and reacting to it, I'm literally looking up words like artifact and lossy, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. Do you know that lossy that only came into our vernacular in the 1950s? Oh, I love it. Which I, I think love is so etymology. cool. Oh, yeah. yeah totally. And then uh, just for facts, artifact came in in 1815. So this whole idea of that you could go look at all of these things simultaneously, this this forward backward reverberation is fascinating to me. And so let's turn to how you decided to work it into different ways of being. Talk about new systems and new frontiers. You, you dabbled, I believe. Okay, so your sculptures, if we would call your mobile mm -hmm. sculptures are mm -hmm. there. You've got the rectangle and the image, so a print. Um, but then you went into, you dove into new space too with NFTs. So how mm -hmm. and when did that come into your process? It's so interesting because I was working on this process as that first wave of NFT um, excitement was happening. Mm -hmm. And most of my close circle are media, new media artists and not necessarily photographers. So it had been on my radar for maybe a, even a couple of years before that, but I didn't really fully understand how myself as a photographer, first and foremost, how this would affect me, or I just, I, I just wasn't sure what to do with it, this information and was curious because I think I'm, um, 
obliged based on my practice to be deeply curious about technology and the the future of photography so it's i think about a lot of different things in regard to what's happening in the contemporary culture whether or not i participate is a different story but it, i i feel obliged to research and, and poke around and so i had been thinking about nfts and really not sure what how that could uh, relate to me and of course there's just you know the main conversations are really about all the money that people are making and you know that wasn't necessarily although i think there's a lot of value to have honest conversations about the economics of being mm -hmm. an artist which is real mm -hmm. um I, I wasn't necessarily i that didn't seem like the most interesting component of nfts to me even though that's kind of what the coverage and the narrative was spinning at the moment mm -hmm. um and then uh again like at the same time that i started this project in 2021 um, I started to see other friends who were photographers um, getting into it. And I minted a video, one of the few videos that I made for this project as an NFT, I think in like May or June of that year, kind of as I was beginning the project, just to see what it was all about, not really knowing how contingent the NFT community was to Twitter and Discord and all of this other stuff that I was just like, okay, so I minted this thing. What, you know, what now? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, so I like, I, I just put it out there and then kind of left it to be and, and forgot about it again. And then that summer, um, we've spoken of him uh, before, Gregory Eddie Jones, who did the mm -hmm. foreword of the book um, and a dear friend of mine. Um, he w became like a huge proponent and advocate of me uh, getting into the space and we had a couple uh, Zoom conversations and helped me kind of process through my anxiety of <laughs> doing this new thing and really encouraged <laughs> me to, to give it a whirl. And so I did. Um, and it felt conceptually relevant. Like you yeah. can think of NFTs as simply a marketplace or a vehicle for artists to make money which is fine and totally legitimate but i think i was thinking of it more of this similar to the met is this massive living mm -hmm. archive Absolutely. where people were yeah where people were putting in their information into and yeah. so kind of almost like it felt like the beginning of the early days of the internet and so mm -hmm. you know and because of that of course the the system in which you connect a wallet and mint something and connect to a marketplace and all of these things are obtuse to say to say it politely like it's it's not an easy process it wasn't then at least and and it brought me quite a bit of anxiety if I'm being completely transparent with you mm, um, but it but it felt mm. it felt conceptually relevant and I'm like well if there's any if there's any project I'm going to do this with this would actually be the one because I feel like I, I I'm a broken record when I talk about this but it's the um Marshall McLuhan's uh, very infamous quote that the medium is the message, right? Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like this is actually the project that needs to go on here. And like, if I'm going to do it now is the time to do it. Um, totally. And you know what, with, in, with regard to the pandemic, with regard to not being connected to anybody, I had been living in New York for, oh, maybe... 18 years at that point or 17 years at that point feeling like 
I had seen everything that could be seen in New York, which of course is a very silly thing to say out loud, but that's, I was feeling a little bit like stuck in my Mm. own life. And then even more kind of restricted by the pandemic that NFTs really helped me to reimagine my community because it was very tethered to Twitter and discord, but that I was meeting all of these people that had actually been around me the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like many, I've just like doubled down on um, a lot of connections that are here, uh, you know, in the tri-state area Mm -hmm. and they were here the whole time. I was just, I was just feeling stuck, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was just personal subjectivity that I couldn't see what was right in front of me. And somehow NFTs broke that open for me. And so I actually feel very thankful for having had that experience and it enlivened something in me um, at a time that felt, I felt kind of calcified in my ways, um, mm-hmm. in ways that weren't serving me. So, um, so there was that component. And then, um, and I, I'm sad that this is like, you know, I feel like this is the only way it can come out. And we've talked about this a couple different times. Like the book has this text component, right? And it makes sense for the book to have text with images. And so I can express this metadata facet. But with NFTs, what I thought was really interesting was that you could also bake in, in, in some of the um, different marketplaces, you could bake in um, secret metadata so that when someone bought one, something would be released Mm -hmm. from that. And so, you know, you could maybe just see a JPEG or if you, if you uh, collected one, you would get um, these sometimes broken links or sometimes links to the Metropolitan's website. And so um, I wanted to refer back to that moment that I had that I was telling you about where Mm -hmm. I couldn't get to the artifacts again when I tried to research them. And so, um, in the collection of an NFT, um, this metadata would be released to you and there was links to the website. And sometimes it would link back to an artifact that was in the image. Sometimes it would link back to an artifact that was not in the image. Sometimes it was a broken link, intentionally broken because that was my own experience. Experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, which I, I thought was a lovely iteration of this project that felt very truthful to this slippery idea of um, evidence and fact and getting to the root of some kind of truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things were really just, you know, tangled up in a certain kind of subjectivity, um, which, yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Fabulous. And you're making me think of several things. And I'm just going to go back to say um, the idea of um, NFTs actually democratizing not only the marketplace, but many other things, right? Mm -hmm. It it is like, frankly, um, open domain access in a Mm -hmm. way that some other systems are up in arms <laughs> over that jostling of of, yeah. of of the structures. So that's another break open that you made me think of. And I love the idea of the reimagining. And then of course, our ability to not see something that is like sitting right next to us and our human ability to, you know, to not even understand all the time the subjectivity of what we're mm-hmm. seeing or not seeing. Um, and when you were talking about the secret metadata, 
I love that on two levels. The first thing I thought of was Banksy, <laughs> that mm -hmm, there's almost mm -hmm. like a subversive and, and fun and um, um, literal experience that can be pushed, which is really kind mm -hmm. of interesting. But again, when you're in this virtual liminal space, you were actually translating your very human experience Mm -hmm. back right so this mirroring yeah. and reflecting is what I think I just could not get enough of and of course we haven't even mentioned that you your cover is a mirror thank you very much mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in terms of the layering of your concepts fabulous and I just I, I guess one of the things that it made me think of and I just I always have this problem of wanting to go in too many directions at the same time. So I'm trying to capture it. But one of the things I'm thinking of, are you familiar with image cities from Taryn Simon's work mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that idea that she went um, and Erin uh, Schwartz went into the public library's way of collecting visual data like mm -hmm. combs or chairs mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. pen, et cetera. And then this, this is, well, actually I should preface it because here's what I'm thinking. You are part of a continuum that I do see as digital pioneers. And before mm. Taryn Simon, we have to go to Fred Richen because it was in 2004 mm. that Fred Richen brought up the idea of four corners and the ability digitally to embed, I'm not sure of the correct terminology, the different data within a digital image. Mm -hmm. So you have his whole project, the pixel project that came out of mm -hmm. that. Then Taryn Simon steps in to animate our cultural understanding mm -hmm. again, digitally. So if I'm going to type in the American flag or even just America, depending on what country I am coming from with that search, the images are going to be vastly different. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. this idea that I look at you on that continuum, because you're coming into that trajectory of our world as it's, you know, our digital revolution world, our technological world, we're sitting here as we talked about, you know, AI and even more, you know, forward moving aspects of it all, mm -hmm. what the ramifications are. And, and and our human hands in it, as well as limitations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot there, but I, I don't, I think it's very easy for us to have a black and white view of these things, right? And that's oftentimes what is fun is a very kind of um, reductive understanding about the implications of these mm -hmm. tools and materials. And it's not that it's, it's just not that simple. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, I think, as an artist, trying to navigate these things, as well as just being a human, mm -hmm. trying to navigate mm -hmm. these things is I actually really appreciate the fact that there is this gray area this like slippery quality to it that's what makes it very interesting mm -hmm. um i appreciate you um putting me in the genealogy with those two i i love fred richens um he speaks about the idea of synthetic images um in his um book which 
the name of it is escaping me right now, mm -hmm. um, which I've been thinking a lot about now in my um, post, post this project, I've been thinking a lot about synthetic images and mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. And of course, you know, Brie and I have had many lovely conversations about that apropos to her work. Um, yeah, think, it's just- Are you thinking yeah. of bending the frame? Of Fred Richens' oh. book, Bending the Frame? Maybe, Maybe. yeah. And, and yeah. what, you know, you bringing up Brie and AI, we have to mention a 12 bytes because that just blew my mind and gave yeah. me so much information, which I actually went back and reread in preparation to talk with you because oh, cool. I love that the whole impact and the import. I learned more again on my second passing with 12 bytes. And I will link with that in our resources page um, because she, uh, just to, 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 sorry, jump, because we can go back to synthetic mm -hmm. images because I think that is a really interesting, important piece. I think um, I wanna capture the idea that when I said you have an ecumenical gaze, it is exactly because mm -hmm. of what you just said. You don't enter into this territory with a redactive view or reductive or an insistent. It isn't black and white. Even when you said, okay, yeah. this archive, this could be an oversight. This could be a thoughtful mm -hmm. thing. Like you cannot presuppose why things are the way they are or what you're seeing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how. at the end of the day, it could actually just be money, which is usually <laughs> the case. Like it could just be that the funding yeah. wasn't there Grant to do ran X. X, Y. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which happens, I mean, so another book to recommend uh, mm -hmm. to the listeners is um, Art in the After Culture by oh. Ben Davis. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Capitalist Crisis and Cultural Strategy, which, uh, you know, Whoa. he basically, oh, this is a good one. Um, mm -hmm. I, I need to revisit it myself again, but really just talking about, I think about specifically in America, how arts institutions have a fundamentally different funding model um, than other institutions in Europe say. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we look at museums as a form of entertainment, which of course it is, but then if we're treating museums we're putting that in the same camp as Netflix, for instance. What are the what are the choices that they're making systemically that inform how we are viewing, uh, you know, cult, historical and cultural uh, information? And again, there's maybe some advantages to thinking about wow. museums as a form of entertainment, I think, especially in regard to getting, you know, younger generations and to appreciate culture. Again, I don't wanna like prescribe that it is good or bad. However, um, for the US to be as entangled with this particular type of model, um, I think is is slippery, is, is kind of a challenging thing to reckon with, especially if we're talking about quote unquote truth or, you know, some sort of objectivity uh, in regard to the past. Um, that relationship seems tenuous at best in terms of like how we actually curate things and the decisions that we're making. Like there's 
there's some things that need to be unpacked oh my there gosh. for sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, N- another petard yeah. thrown into my brain. I, I don't I even know. want to thank I'm you. Sorry. I don't even want to thank you for it. <laughs> I want to say like, yeah. I'm going to have to go live in a cave and read for I a know. year. It That is fascinating because, okay, I will be looking up that book, but the whole idea of the difference of our systems, all of that's going in my mind right now and how uh, what is it that art imitates life or vice versa? Mm-hmm. All I can think of is Fox News, which is an mm-hmm. entertainment channel that mm-hmm. is considered a, a very as subtle a distinction, news but a big channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hello. And the, and it is yeah. this reverberation. And mm-hmm. uh, what was what were we coined? Alternate facts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, that was that we were at the height of that moment when I was making this work and yeah. with Trump in office and just like there is a, you know, a sense of unease and at, at times terror, like mm-hmm. about this idea of like getting to some kind of objective reality. And of course, that is actually always present, but it was it was came to the forefront in that particular moment. And we will continuously be shaped and live in that from now on because of the way mm-hmm. uh the way technology operates you know the way mm-hmm. media operates all of these all of these different factors that really inform culture and um education and all of this stuff so yeah mm-hmm. i was very much thinking about uh what is truth which i think all photographers to a degree think about this it's not necessarily a revolutionary thing to say but it mm-hmm. felt like a moment in which i was just like oh i could me leaning into this subjective uh experience that i'm having with an archive like i'm creating myths and fictions that i think that's something that we don't talk about too much with regard to historical documents like we're trying to preserve or we're trying to elicit some kind of truth but what if I just lean into the thing that's already happening um as a way of exposing it for what it is that you know when we when a curator curates a show they have to do some due diligence about the thing that they're um constructing and building to share with the public but of course that there is some uh subjectivity to that uh in in different doses right so mm-hmm. um to really lean into what that what that means and what the ramifications could be uh was really interesting to me Absolutely. and this is kind yeah. of a little bit of a tangent um but i i think it is also appropriate and i don't talk about it too much but um a year or so before I had found out that I was adopted and I had gone on this a couple of years before, actually, I'd gone on this uh, journey to find out who my biological father was. And I learned that I am in fact, despite what my last name indicates, I am not Italian. I am Eastern European. I am Carpatho-Rusin, which is totally fucking cool because it's this diaspora of people from the Carpathian mountains. And so I was using, uh, go figure, online Mm. genealogical websites and archives to try and understand. Exactly. It was the same thing. And I I actually was trying at the time, this was like just post-grad school in like 2017 and 18, trying to make work about this, but was actually just simply too personal. And so when I came across the project that we're talking about today, it felt like a way to express that in a slightly less 
um, intimate way, but it was very much informing just where my mind was, you know, that like I, you know, we'd like to think that we know ourselves very well. And then you have a bombshell dropped on you. And like, I actually know nothing about myself. I am a total mystery to myself at 30 years old. And so, um, yeah, just again, kind of wow. in combination with, with the pandemic and Trump and all of this post-truth era stuff. I'm like, what's real? Really? <laughs> like what, like what, do I know what's real? I don't know what's real. Um, I, I was, so I was just living in that, um, totally. reality for a while. You yeah. were swimming in that soup. I mean, jaw dropping, jaw dropping for me on so many levels to hear that only because again, this animation of your process and your practice and your experiential and your curiosity and then your intention and then fact and finding fact mm -hmm. and then not finding fact. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, it goes back even into the untetheredness that you captured by having the sky take away any orientation, right? So mm -hmm. it's so fascinating. Wow, Danielle, it's wonderful. That's what I mean. I can see this just, it is on that continuum for me. Um, and we're very fortunate to have people, artists like you grappling with it, right? Because mm -hmm. this whole idea of, of our systems fascinates me. And I, I'm not going to remember the actual name of this book, but probably 15 years ago, I read a book in um, my, my very eclectic book club, which was so wonderful because everyone was from a different country, which can happen mm. in Cambridge. And mm -hmm. so our, our exposures were so fascinating. And one of them was a double PhD and her mm -hmm. book of choice was on the problem of zero. And it might be the title of the book, but it goes mm. back in mathematics to the idea of our systems of math, whether you included zero as a number or did mm. numbers mm -hmm. start at one, right? So this is this antiquated theoretical basis that nine out of 10 of us in the 21st century don't even know about, but our entire 21st century language is based on zero and one. Mm -hmm. I so, love that. Oh, I want to read that book. Oh my God. Like that yeah. dawned on me probably about the third or fourth time I was looking at your book when I'm mm -hmm. thinking about this whole digital space and, and because you hold, I mean, you're holding Walter Benjamin and you're holding Fred mm -hmm. Richin in the mm -hmm. same space to like go back and forth about how we thought about something to how we're thinking about it now. And the expanse of that is fascinating. And, and I just remember when we were at the reading for um, another online pervert, I, I said to you, because we were talking afterwards and we had someone that was a programmer and someone that was mm -hmm. looking at the ACLUs, like mm -hmm. what is happening in our legal system because of the digital world. Yes. And all I could think yeah. of was like, we're in Jurassic Park right now. We are yeah. in Jurassic Park for what the... Yep ramifications are well there's this term um i don't know who coined it uh called cultural lag and i think about that a lot with regard to technology is that new technologies come about um and then it takes 
culture, the wider public to uh, use them, absorb them, subsume them, and then turn it into something and then actually begin to understand the ramifications of using those things. And that actually just takes time. And in some cases could, you know, take generations, right? Like mm -hmm. we are as a society, much more visually literate now post um, the computer and internet eras, right? Mm -hmm. Because of social media mm -hmm. uh, than we were before. And so mm -hmm. the younger generations really know how to, even if they can't articulate it to such a degree, can quote unquote read images much better than we ever have before. And the generations to come after us with regard to um, new technologies will also have this insight that, that we don't have um, or that we, we don't have you know embedded in our just existence. And so, yeah, there's always that, that bit of lag. And in that time, you know, of course, all sorts of interesting things kind of crop up like, um, you know, uh, it wasn't the National Geographic. Who was it? There was a, um, there was a stock photography website, uh, and now I'm spacing on the name of it. But mm -hmm. being sued over maybe it was National Geographic, um, being sued uh, because they were using um, archives against without permission um, to create synthetic AI images. Um, and now I'm spacing on who it was, who, who the mm. stock company was. But in any mm. case, there was IP, IP issues that were, that's what I was trying to get to is this mm. idea of IP that were in this very kind of uh, slippery area when, uh, you know, policy and law needs to move very quickly to mm. adjust mm. to the changing temperature of a particular technology. And I think there was something more recently. Now I'm kind of, I'm I'm talking by the seat of my pants here because <laughs> uh, I don't actually know too much about it. But there's you know there's been every day there's news with regard to uh, is AI something that we can um, oh sure you know the legal ramifications of um, this type of imagery can it be something that you can sue someone over if they're um, the archive that they're training their data set on is based on, let's say a particular artist, you know, there's a lot of mm -hmm. artists that are really upset about this, that their work is being used in a data set that they didn't give permission to. And now the images that the synthetic images coming out are happen to look like other people's work. And, and that is a, a thing that is needing to be negotiated now kind of in real time. And, um, you know, we're kind of all along for the ride. I don't totally. think that there is, again, a black and white there. I can see multiple sides to it, but we're we're trying to learn uh, as we go. Um, Absolutely. I can tell you this always goes back. And I had this feeling when I was talking to Brie, uh, when we talked about her book, and when I was reading 12 Bites, um, my kids are young adults. And when they were in middle school, we literally had a parental in service, because of mm -hmm. the this actual thing in terms of what you call cultural lag. Of course, it was coming mm -hmm. through the experience of bullying, which once it's on the internet is 24 seven. It's also in mm -hmm. your home, it's in your bedroom, it's oh, wherever yeah. your device follows you. So the um, cultural social um, interventions that we're trying to run 
uh, as fast as the the ramifications were 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 being seen. Um, everyone's trying to scramble and say like, how do we do this? How do we protect? What what can be done? Anyway, it was described to us as parents that our kids are literally in the largest cultural gap that has ever happened because mm -hmm. our kids are literally what they call cyber immersion generation, mm -hmm. where as that we're sitting there uh, at their like 12 years, 13 year age, middle school, um, being told that the jobs that they have don't exist yet. And that their very way of seeing the world is so vastly different than the one you have. Like you will never have mm -hmm. the view mm -hmm. they have. Mm -hmm. And that blows your mind, it, it, you know, yeah. talk about terrifying. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it just, I do keeps... not envy kids growing up right now. I really don't like just in regard to all of the stuff that you just mentioned, like I, I, I was yeah. of the era that I, I got, um, AOL, um, I think when I was in high school <laughs> and then Facebook came out when I was a freshman, I think in college. Mm -hmm. And so at that point it felt like, and I still within those years got into a fair bit of trouble on the internet for sure. Mm -hmm. But like by the time, like things really started kicking off with social media, I was nearly an adult. So uh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm really glad that that wasn't a part of my uh, young uh, experience as a young adult and as a child, like mm -hmm. I just, your, your emotions and your brain are so impressionable as you're mm -hmm. growing up that mm -hmm. I can't imagine having to navigate that extra element as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you it, think about it, it we're giving uh, the ground doesn't have any orientation. It's just like your mm -hmm. untethered imagery, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that's very, very difficult. And that's something the acceleration is something that um, Jeanette Winterson gets into in 12 Bytes because algorithms are biased and and then the potential with AI is actually the speed at which information travels. So the untruths travel faster and more, mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't even absorb or consider, um, mm -hmm. which is again, why it's so important to have an ecumenical approach to not knowing what we do know or how we know what we know, um, because so much is getting done so, so quickly. And then I, you brought up how, even if you go to, um, which is a typical way to experiment and to actually validate something, it's like, let me do it again. And then the second time doesn't give you the results. So there's no way the same to thing. validate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's something about digital images moving more quickly than text, which I love the idea of different mediums having a speed associated with them, but mm -hmm. how digital images move is faster than how physical images move, which is still faster than how text moves, which is an interesting way to conceptualize it because it actually just takes time to fit with information and not even to mention the subjectivity of sh sharing that information mm -hmm. or your capacity to understand the thing that you're reading. But, you know, if most of, you know, the news sources that people are getting now are it's on TikTok or it's clickbait or it's like you said, um, Fox News being a media outlet versus an uh, entertainment outlet versus, you know, actual news outlet. 
that, yeah, there's like an ease in which we absorb certain things that could be um, skewed, at, you know, at, mm -hmm. to say politely skewed. Mm -hmm. um, and, e and even sitting with text, like there's, there's, it takes a certain amount of patience and um, a type of critical thinking that, you know, this is a whole nother tangent that we could get, I could get wound up about, mm -hmm. but like, you know, we're not actually taught critical thinking skills in, at least it, that has been my experience growing mm -hmm. up in the U S and like mm -hmm. education. And so like, even if we are presented with facts, um, our capacity to do research and negotiate certain things is it's lacking on our end as well. It's not just the mediums in which we uh, entertain every day, but it's also our capacities too, which comes back to education. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> well, it's certainly it's a, a new yeah. frontier and yeah. you're making me think of a recent experience. Um, and I, I bring this up in another uh, podcast because it just recently happened to me within the last few weeks. Um, Starlink went over my head mm -hmm. and, and literally I was, I had the experience that I was, I was at a photo event that was outside and it was outside the city. So I was walking and I looked up and I thought, wow, this is beautiful. I'm seeing stars. So on, uh, obscured by the light of the city. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing a pattern and the pattern is moving. And I wasn't that far from an airport, a very small airport and actually a military airport. And I'm like, is that a formation? And so I'm looking up and one by one, a small circle of like five of us. And we were mm -hmm. all like, what are we seeing? Because it was mm -hmm. the most unusual mechanized, but in this natural setting. And, and the only, it was, we were all, and of course, uh, half the people were photographing it, which was even funnier. And then I said, are we witnessing Elon Musk? Like that was the first thing mm -hmm. I thought of. And indeed mm -hmm. it was, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. It was wow. a very weird and crazy experience. Yeah, I've it yet circles to the see world. that in person. Someone looked it up because of course, what do we do after after we were yeah. like, yes, it's Starlink, then of course somebody's Googled it within a second and we're learning about how quickly it circles the world. Wow. Yeah, what? it's wild. Yeah, I mean, this kind of comes back to the thing that you were saying earlier about actually being able to understand or see what is sometimes right in front of us. You know, it's mm -hmm. like seeing the, the, the trees for the forest, like, yes. you know, this thing was taking place, you know, right over you. And maybe if you hadn't looked up, you wouldn't even have known that it was there. And then you did look up and you're like, wait, what is this? Like, what is actually happening? Uh, and the fact that that was your first guess was, you know, quite astute, but like, it, you know, I'm sure you could have thought of a handful of other things, I, you well, know, we all did. We thought of many yeah. other, like, like, you, your mind went from reality to non-reality back to reality. Mm -hmm. Like you just had no idea. Um, yeah. and, uh, given what the state of our world is right now in the fall of 2023, it's a far reaching part of your thought of what could I be yeah. looking at? Right. Yeah. Really amazing. Well, yeah. to bring this back to you, I have to ask you one other question because I love what you, um, what you initiated is research for me, um, which mm -hmm. of course is where it it felt like 
I could go and go and go mm -hmm. with that. Um, but it was really fun. Um, I learned about some different things and I just, one of them, and there were many from, um, I wasn't familiar with, is it Discord? Mm -hmm. Yeah, over no. my head. Didn't know about no. that. So that's okay. You don't need to. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not worried about it, but I'm like, really? Yeah. Okay. I don't even like have that on my radar. And then yeah. um, Obscura, which I found mm -hmm. fascinating, but like, I'm happy to know about Obscura and I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So if you just want to say, any, I mean, because you learned new things too as you were diving through, right? Yeah. So are, are you talking about uh, Obscura uh, Journal? Is that what you're speaking mm -hmm. of? And yeah. the, I, well, I'm trying to understand because I saw it as a, um, their website is obscura.io mm -hmm. and then there's Obscura mm -hmm. Journal and it's this idea of a community of artists. And so it, it, it feels like a native NFT Mm -hmm. creation. Mm -hmm. So I'm again, like, I'm like, okay, this is coming at me from a lot of different things. And of course, when I think journal, I am like, is it a journal? Like, is it yeah, an online yeah. journal? So, yes. okay. So tell totally. us a little bit about that. So there's a couple um, organizations within the NFT space that are uh, photography based. Obscura is one of them. Um, and very early on, I distinguish them as first and foremost, perhaps a really great community um, and um, a place for people to meet in discord, um, to talk about being photographers, to talk about advancing your career, deepening your practice. Um, and there were channels that people ran about different topics like this. And so mm -hmm. um, they were just one organization that was doing some interesting things within the space. And they were also curating exhibitions um, and doing community outreach and really just focusing on uh, a community forward approach to um, photography literacy in the NFT space, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really lovely. Uh, and I got to meet just a fantastic group of people through that. Um, and one component of this was, yes, like a, call it a journal, call it an online uh, publication, um, but where uh, a select group of writers, myself included, was asked to either interview or write small features about artists that they, whose work they were promoting at the time. And so it was, um, an outlet for some education to happen for people who were either coming into uh, collecting work as new collectors or coming into photography as not really knowing the history of photography. So it was like a, an educational wing of Obscura. And so that was very exciting for me to be able to write about both um, established artists and emerging artists uh, working within the space. And um, yeah, it was just one of the kind of surprising, this opportunity fell into my lap. And, you know, I, I discovered about myself that I really love um, interviewing people. And I, that was something that I hadn't learned previously is that I really love um, having conversations with other artists about their practice that, you know, at many times is very different than my own and just learning how they 
uh, see the world and make sense of the things that they're doing. And um, through that opportunity, um, had some of my writing uh, featured on um, the Magnum Photo uh, website and journal um, because they had done a partnership with some Magnum photographers which they were releasing NFT collections with. And so I had the opportunity to interview some of these really, um, you know, photographers at the, at the height of their careers, um, primarily documentary photographers, which as you know, is kind of outside of my realm of comfort, but it was just, it was a wild ride. Like it was a <laughs> lot of fun. And even despite whatever kind of, um, conceptual and aesthetic differences between my practice and the folks that I spoke with, uh, there are all these commonalities. And it just mm. like, it just, I don't know, it made the world feel um, delightfully small in a good way that like, you know, to be able to connect with people who are just thinking critically about the work that they're making and, and the decisions that they're making, even if I come to different decisions in my own practice, like it just mm. was, I don't know, I felt very connected in a in a time when I think most of us were not feeling connected. So uh, it was a great opportunity. Um, yeah, I feel like the state of NFT nows is of course very different than it was then. Um, and I've taken a backseat to, to doing stuff. I, I've gone back into observer mode, um, mm -hmm. mostly because that's my natural state. Um, and I'm still kind of <laughs> watching and seeing what's going on, but you know, who really knows? It's still like such a a young uh, phenomenon yeah. that uh, it, it could really go anywhere. And, uh, you know, this is circles back to earlier in our conversation about, you know, it was an opportunity for artists that maybe didn't have access to um, a particular hierarchy to get, you know, uh, to yes, be able to same. find people and uh, a platform for their work, which I really loved. But of course, now there are museums that are, um, adopting the technology and, and co-opting it. And, you know, of course that's, can be really good. And also, you know, maybe against the initial ethos, uh, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but things are changing and they will continue to evolve. And it's, it hasn't settled into anything yet other than the fact that it exists and it's out in the world and it has its own set of problems. But I was ha very happy to be a part of it for this moment that felt like it was, um, emergent and exciting yeah. yeah and almost um yes innocent anything's possible and and actually yeah. um especially i think because we've seen over the last couple of decades such a shift about the art and commerce relationship mm -hmm. that it felt like oh, have we opened a door to a a, a much better yeah. Equitable framework, awesome. potentially yeah. uh, empowerment, yeah. et cetera, ownership. Um, yeah, there, I still, as much as there's um, so much to think about and some of it's overwhelming, it is this vastly exciting time to be in this field and to be thinking about all of these layers. Um, it, it's, it's really a privilege. It's sometimes it's a wild ride and sometimes it's hard to hold on to all the threads that it actually pulls apart. I'm thinking about, um, we're gonna have to, to wrap, but of course I could go on, but what I'm thinking of is Paris Photo and two things. Mm -hmm. One is that there's going to be a digital section, which I found yes. really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, my, and then my second question is, will I see you there? <laughs> 
Are you going this year? I really wish that I could make it. I was just looking at tickets last night thinking, like, maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll last minute kind of wing it. Yep. I don't think I'm going to be going this yep. year. Although last year was such a incredible whirlwind. Um, mm -hmm. And I would love to see what's happening. I forget the, uh, the name of the curator. Oh, Nina. Nina. I, I don't think this is her last name, but Nina Rowan, maybe. In any case, she's the one leading the initiative for the digital section. Oh, cool. Okay, um, I, I, I know yet. I'm butchering mm -hmm. her last name. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm excited that that uh, is happening. And especially at Paris Photo, given that I think that and in Paris in general and its history with photography tends to be a little bit more rooted in the past. Um, and so I'm excited that they're embracing um, some of these contemporary things that are happening in our culture right now. I think it's a great way to kind of stay up with the times. And even last year they had um, uh, a booth, at least yes. one booth uh, yes, for fellowship that was NFTs. Uh, and again, regardless what we think about NFTs specifically, I, I think it's important just to be grappling with whatever contemporary things that are happening in our culture because mm -hmm. photography is ever changing and um, I think we need to start having those dialogues as if we're living in the pre pre present moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's super exciting. Um, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I'll report yeah. back. I, I will Please have do. my ear to the ground on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to offer, um, two things. One is to help people that are going to Paris photo because it's such a deer in the headlights. It's a wonderful mm -hmm. situation, but I'm trying to mm -hmm. offer a pre-plan. If you want to go, let me show you all the things you need to think about before. Yeah. Um, and then just trying again to um, capture some of the highlights and share them. So that will be, that's my, my joy. It's another one of those overwhelming situations. Oh, totally. Is, yeah. Yeah. That you, you think about for months after because the so many things are touched, but I'm so glad that brought us together. And it seems like we are um, going to intersect more consistently is just how it feels because of what you're yes. thinking and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm so that I am very, very thankful for, um, because you are that much more, um, in this experiential mode and able to reflect it as an artist and an academic. And, uh, that's, it's a wonderful gift. And I think it's, I really am excited to see your, your title being so kind of amorphous, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but it really meaning that it's just going to keep moving and moving and moving, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's an essay um, entitled in defense of the poor image. Do you know this? Yes. But why, why do I know that? Um, um, it's been around for, it was published by, um, eFlux, I believe. I want to say I'm guessing in this, but like in the 2010, so it's, it's been floating out on the internet for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really, it's a, it's one of those kind of, um, hallmarks for me that I keep coming back to with, um, each project that I work on, but it is especially relevant here is that, um, 
you know, this idea of speed and images picking up speed and the JPEG as this um, cultural currency. And so I, I think that there's something here with regard to these downloadable images. And, you know, we think of the lowly JPEG as just this disposable thing. And in fact, it it is kind of disposable if we're looking at the history of photography or if we value, if we only value the objecthood of a particular artifact, then the JPEG, which is ephemeral, has this um, kind of lowly, uh, quality to it, but also it, it has so much cultural cachet that its value can't be um, undermined, uh, but in a different way, if you think of it as this, um, the body isn't the only place that value can be found. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I thought about that a lot in regard to, to this work, mm -hmm. but anything dealing with virtual space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it looks like, um, Lucy, Lucy is going to be my next favorite word, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's so applicable mm -hmm. to so many things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there was a couple words, we, we touched on this earlier, but there was a couple words um, that felt like uh, had double or multiple meanings to me, um, you know, including this idea of the artifact. And we talked about that and the etymology of, of artifact, both being this, this digital um, component and then the physical component. And there's just a multiplicity there that I really tried to play into um, mm -hmm. that I think was, is very relevant. And lossiness is definitely one of those things that there were, we're losing things as we move through time into the future. We, we, we lose our past, right? But then there's mm -hmm. the lossiness of the image um, and this um, context collapse that happens um, as images circulate. So yeah, there's something there about uh, the double entendre, the, the multiple meanings of words that I really tried to, tried to play into intentionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there is, I have to say, a real playful component to, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. all of what you created. Um, there, is, there is fun in it. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm excited to see what you do next. And I'm also excited and hopeful that you are a major... Uh, visionary or even uh, refractor uh, in mm. this space as we go forward. So I appreciate I'm that. Yeah, there, there are some things bubbling in the works and I'm not ready to talk about, but there's yeah. some stuff percolating. So next year will be cool. another exciting, busy one. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, till we meet again in person, this has been delightful. Thank you so much. Yes, it's been a treat. Thank you again. Thank you for joining our conversation. My work focuses on how you see and why it matters, the layers of the creative practice. My services offer practical and applicable tools to add to your existing creative practice. For more information, please look on my website, jsibillasmith.com, under the Services and Resources tab.
And if you enjoy our podcast, please follow, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate when you share this resource and give us a shout out. Concept Aware is being listened to by the thousands in over 70 countries. Help us reach our goal of listeners in 100 countries. Please connect with me on other social media platforms where you will find me under at J Sibylla. I use all these methods to engage and expand our global visual culture conversation.